Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we look at the presidential election in Nigeria, which is due to be held in roughly a month's time on March the 28th. It's a very close contest between President Goodluck Jonathan and the opposition challenger, General Mohamedou Buhari. And it's taking place against a worrying backdrop of civil conflict and economic trouble. So to discuss the elections in Africa's largest country, I'm joined in the studio by our former correspondent in Lagos, Tom Burgess, and on the line from Lagos itself, our acting Africa editor, William Wallace, Tom, first of all, just give us an idea who the two main candidates are and what divides them. Well, Gideon, as you say, it's it's a very close election. It's the closest probably since 1999 when the military gave power back to civilians. And ever since then, the People's Democratic Party has held the presidency and most of the the states that are very strong in Nigeria's federal system. What you have now is good luck Jonathan going for a second term. And he's probably the weakest president or certainly in the weakest position of an incumbent going into a re-election campaign since 1999. He talked big when he came into power about combating corruption, about sorting out the chronic power shortages that are the main block on Nigeria's economic development and about cleaning up the electoral system. He's got a patchy record on all of those. And what's happened is his PDP has leaked some very senior figures into the opposition, which for the first time has formed a national group, not simply tied to one ethnic bloc or one regional bloc. And they've turned to a man who's repeatedly tried to run for the presidency, General Buhari, a military dictator briefly back in the 80s with a reputation as a disciplinarian. Some would say a brutal reputation as a disciplinarian. People were thrashed in the streets during his rule. He does benefit in a way from that image, though, because his kind of austere anti-corruption position is a contrast to the PDP, which a lot of people just see as a way for the elite to distribute the spoils of the oil industry. William, with a Muslim candidate and a Christian candidate, is this an election that risks being divided on purely ethnic and sectarian lines? Well, what's interesting, actually, is that in the past, General Buhari, when he's run for the presidency, has won a great number of votes, but purely among Muslims in the north. This time, it does look like he's made, with the backing of powerful coalition partners from the Yoruba southwest of the country, which is Muslim and Christian, it looks like he's made serious inroads into the southern vote, partly because this is really a referendum on good luck Jonathan's performance rather than a competition between two men. William, I know you've described these five weeks until the election takes place as five dangerous weeks for Nigeria. Why is that? Well, part of the reason is, as Tom explained, it's an extremely close contest. And Nigeria's record in managing very close electoral contests in the past has been very bad. There have been severe upsets in 1965, in 1983, when General Buhari took power after elections widely seen as rigged. And then again in 1993, when you had a very close election that was won by the candidate, the military didn't want to win. And that led to 
more years of brutal military dictatorship under Mohammed Abacha. This time, you've got a very close contest, and you've got an opposition with wind in its sails, and a ruling party, some members of whom even admit to an extent that the writing for them is on the wall. They're very alarmed, I think, at the prospect of someone like General Buhari coming into power, opening up the books, and bringing his iron fist down on the perceived worst offenders of the PDP's years in office. Now, the opposition and civil society activists are very concerned that members of the ruling party and of the establishment more broadly will stop at nothing to prevent General Buhari coming into power. And those fears have been exacerbated by the fact that the election was postponed for six weeks. And making this all doubly dangerous is the fact that the army is pinned down trying to conduct a military offensive against Boko Haram insurgents in the northeast. And at the same time, you've got followers of General Buhari, who in the past have turned to violence when he hasn't won, who could do so again if they feel their candidate has been cheated of victory. And down in the Niger Delta, where the oil is produced, you have former warlords saying that they will take up arms again if their man, good luck Jonathan, is bullied out of office. The danger is that the army at this point could not contain an outbreak of violence on many fronts. And this would threaten Nigeria's future as one nation in the worst case scenario. You say that good luck Jonathan's supporters, or at least a few of them, might stop at nothing. Are you suggesting that they might call off the elections or ballot rig? And is there a possibility of a military coup? Well, President Jonathan himself, speaking to the FT, was absolutely insistent that delayed elections will go ahead on time, though he wants to be remembered as someone who presided over free and fair elections. But his authority is one of the things at issue here, and he doesn't necessarily control all the outcomes. There's a lot of speculation in Nigeria at the moment that there could be a further delay to the election, that an inconclusive runoff could tip the situation beyond May 29th, when there's constitutionally supposed to be a handover, and a lot of discussion about plots to install in those instances an interim government of some sort. So there's a very febrile environment in which all sorts of scenarios are being discussed. But at the moment, you know, the main players are saying the elections will go ahead on time. Now, Tom, I mean, this election, among all those factors that were mentioned there, there is this insurgency going on led by Boko Haram. How much of the country is affected by it and how possible is it to hold a normal election with this going on? I don't think you could, under any circumstances at the moment, hold a normal election in Nigeria. What you're looking at with Boko Haram is basically the northeast quarter or thereabouts of the country, but they've struck further south than that. They're also spilling over the borders into Chad and Cameroon and Niger. The Electoral Commission has made suggestions that it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to even distribute the basic materials for an election in the northeast, which you would guess plays against General Buhari partly because there's a lot of ethnic and regional bloc voting in these elections. And the northeast, uh, basically a no-go area for many journalists, for observers, for, for many outsiders, it's kind of been left to its fate. And I think that's it's part of a broader problem that isn't so much about this election. It's the way that chunks of Nigeria are just detaching from the state. If not formally, then in practice, you've got the northeast has been largely 
abandoned, apart from the latest army offensive. And then places like Lagos down in the, the southwest, which are booming, and you can hear plenty of businessmen saying, look, we let that elite in Abuja, the capital, carry on sharing the spoils, and we're going to uh, do business. We're going to crack on with our telecoms boom and our banking boom. And you're seeing the state disintegrate already in that soft way. And while Nigeria is still a place of patronage politics where two-thirds or so of government income is from oil, you can see a situation where the elite scraps it out in, in, in pretty poor elections, which, as we're seeing, probably won't even effectively take place in parts of the country, and stops being able to deliver nationwide public goods, if you like. But were they ever able to do that? Is this a new problem? Nigeria's had a civil war in the past. Has there ever been a halcyon period where it was a unified country? No, not really. But I think the fact that it is effectively a failed state in some ways is just becoming clearer and clearer because of these two poles of the northeast with the insurgency and Lagos with its boom. William, Tom mentions Lagos and its boom, but of course the falling oil price must be a big blow to the Nigerian economy. So what is the economic backdrop to the election? Well, I'd like to just quickly make one point in response to what Tom said, which is that, in fact, there's a huge appetite for voting in the northeast where the insurgency is taking place. And when General Buhari has been up there, extraordinary crowds have turned out to see him. The Electoral Commission has managed to distribute voter cards up there and is looking at ways that people displaced by the violence can vote. So, If the military offensive that's underway can pin down Boko Haram more than usual, I think you could get something of a vote still up in the northeast. In terms of the economic backdrop, it's pretty bad news for good luck, Jonathan, because the falling oil price has exposed how little his government has managed to save during the years when oil prices were booming. And as a result of that, foreign reserves are under extraordinary pressure You've got a rapidly depreciating Nara, which hits everybody in such an import-dependent economy in their pockets. You've got a falling stock exchange. And, um, you know, people with big fortunes, their paper values are being decimated. Plus, you know, all those traders out in the East, which is actually a stronghold of good luck Jonathan's support, are having to pay much more for the goods that they import. So everybody is hurting. And this reflects pretty badly on the incumbent government. And Tom painted a kind of alarming picture of Nigeria as a failed state, a state that's essentially fracturing. Do you agree? Well, I think there are pockets of Nigeria that have made tremendous progress over the last 15 years. And in some ways, it's become a much more functional place. You've also got very dynamic, thriving parts of the country, not just business, but also the arts, which has been flourishing over the last 10 years or so. That said, he is right that bits of the country have been neglected and left behind, and a very large proportion of the population has really not seen any of the benefits of the boom that has taken place. Okay, well, finally, if I could just ask both of you to give me, if you like, both the optimistic and the pessimistic scenario over the next few weeks and what what, what they'll say about Nigeria and and which you think is more likely. Tom, if you had to look ahead. Um, I think the best outcome would be a situation like the ones we've seen in Ghana, where you have a close election with a result that is, if not necessarily entirely, unrigged is respected by both sides the winner wins with good grace and the loser accepts that he lives to fight another day and you see a far lower level of post-election violence than in previous elections the worst scenario i'd say is close to the one that william was suggesting earlier where the election isn't held at all and nigeria starts to pull apart 
And which of those, uh, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but which of those do you think is more likely, I guess, somewhere in the middle, perhaps? Somewhere in the middle, I'd say the most likely scenario, before each Nigerian election, the country walks up to the brink and looks over and generally manages to scramble back. I'd say the most likely scenario is for the PDP and Goodluck Jonathan to hold on to the presidency and lose a lot of states, and for the post-election week to be pretty messy, but for the political system to hold just about. William, do you buy into that scenario? What do you think Nigeria will look like once we've just got beyond the elections and we're in early April? Well, I think if you've got the rosy scenario that Tom painted at the beginning, and if by chance you did get a victory by General Buhari, which does look plausible, provided there isn't a lot of skullduggery and fraud, then you would have the country's first constitutional transfer of power, which if handled peacefully would tremendously advance Nigeria's political evolution and also provide a fillet to democracy across Africa. So that's the really rosy scenario. At the moment, it looks likely to be much messier than that. And I do think there is a danger that if General Buhari's supporters feel cheated, that there could be an outbreak of violence, which is very difficult to contain. Okay, well, let's hope for the optimistic scenario, but we'll have to leave it there for now. So, William Wallace in Lagos, thanks very much indeed. Thanks also to Tom Burgess here in the studio in London with me. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.